Well, hello everyone. Welcome to Sunday afternoon. Uh, this is a Sunday afternoon Bible study that uh, I am doing. Bill Allen from Tyler, Texas and the West Irwin Church of Christ. We've just started this past week a series of lessons on the book of Philippians and I've entitled this series Finding Joy in Difficult Times. Uh, no, nobody has to explain that these are difficult times, crazy times, challenging times. Uh, but also times that we do not face without the Lord and the Holy Spirit as a guide and presence and His Word and His church. And we are able to uh, face it, therefore, with joy and assurance, knowing that uh, God will see us through uh, the uncharted waters that are ahead of us. And so we uh, appreciate the presence of each and every one. I'm thankful that you're joining me on this uh, study, this uh, a series on Philippians, Finding Joy in Difficult Times, will take place each Sunday afternoon on my Facebook Live page at 4 p.m., and then we are showing it after that, uh, broadcasting it at 6 p.m. at our uh, website on our live stream page at westerwin.com. And so you scroll over social media and resources and click on live stream page, and, uh, and then you'll see where that is broadcast at 6 p.m. Central Time on Sunday evenings. And also it will be on there under archives. And when you click down, go down a little bit and click on archives, you see a lot of other uh, lessons that I have done. Uh, our our uh, most recent worship services are there in their entirety as well. And uh, so, um, as well as just my sermons. So you can take a look at those once they're posted. But I am appreciative of everyone who is joining us along. I've had several of our members at our West Irwin Church family uh, mentioning that they're uh, watching along with this, viewing along with this. If you want to write a little comment and say hello, that's great. Uh, if not, uh, feel free to just watch along and have your Bible open because we're going to be in Philippians 1 uh, still today and also next week because there's a lot in each of these chapters. I intend for these to go about 30 minutes each week, and uh, we'll look at several different verses and passages um, as we as we go along. Um, Great to see my uh, dear friend and sister Barbara Kasky along with us. Uh, what a great friend you are, and appreciate the kind words that you uh, always share and uh, the prayers that you offer for Joyce and for me, and we appreciate that from everyone uh, else as well. Um, so Philippians 1, um, a little bit of a review, first of all, and then we'll get into verses 3 through 11 here in just a moment, but uh, a little bit about uh, this church the first couple of verses in Philippians 1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We spoke a little bit about the uh, opening in those first couple of sermon, uh, first couple of uh, verses, and then we continued on to talk about the history and heritage of, of the Lord's uh, message uh, that he had through the Apostle Paul uh, to the church at Philippi. Uh, and uh, Philippi, the city, as we said, was in uh, what we call modern-day Greece, the northern part, and the, um, in the region, the district of Macedonia. Greece at that time, uh, of course, not called Greece, but Roman province uh, there, and uh, referred to as part of the, the Greek Empire before the Romans came along. And along with that, uh, uh, the city of Philippi was named for Alexander the Great's father, uh, Philip of Macedon, 
and uh, and so it was a Roman colony, a very important and strategic city. Uh, Philippi uh, was in the northern part of modern day Greece in the first century Roman district region of of uh, Macedonia. And so as far as the church itself, we know that on Paul's second mission journey in Acts 16, he takes uh, Silas with him, uh, who was from Jerusalem and had come down uh, to um, Antioch of Syria, uh, kind of Paul's home church at this time, to uh, encourage the brothers and sisters there and talk to them about the big conference that they had in Jerusalem that Luke records in Acts 15. And then at the end of that chapter, Paul and Silas get ready to go on this next mission trip, Barnabas taking his cousin John Mark, going a different way from uh, Paul this time. And along the way, they find this young man by the name of Timothy, whose father was a Greek and mother was a Jewish Christian. And Timothy is circumcised, and he joins their mission team uh, from the start. And so they are, are going, and they try to go the way they went before, staying in what we would call modern-day Turkey. But the Holy Spirit has other plans and closes doors. And finally, uh, Paul sees a vision of a man from Macedonia saying, come on over and help us, that great uh, call uh, great evangelistic and mission-minded uh, hymn of praise that we sing, we have heard the Macedonian call today, send the light. And that's what uh, Paul and Silas and Timothy hear. And so they heed that call and they go across uh, the sea, uh, the Aegean Sea, and go into um, Philippi. They find themselves in Philippi and that's where they go on a Sabbath day to a place that looks like it's a place of prayer. And sure enough, there are some women there and they study with them and talk to them about the gospel and the response of faith. And, and that wonderful woman, Lydia, is baptized and all of her family, and she invites them to her home to stay there uh, as, uh, as they have no place uh, really to stay uh, permanent while they're there, uh, temporary permanent. And then um, Paul continues his ministry with, uh, with Silas and with Timothy and ends up in jail because of him helping a woman who was possessed by a spirit that uh, caused her to be able to foresee the future. And, and she had a man who owned her basically as a slave and took advantage of that gift. And Paul released her from that gift, and they didn't like that. So they had Paul and Silas put in jail. And in there is where, uh, after being beaten and jailed without cause, both Roman citizens, they, um, uh, they are singing praises to God around midnight, and God sends an earthquake. They're all released, but they don't leave, and the jailer is converted because of their faith. Uh, and the next day, they are released, but they are released with uh, the authorities leading them out so that the city perhaps can see that these men uh, were um, unjustly uh, uh, put in jail for the night. And then he goes from there, uh, Philippi, he goes from there on to Thessalonica. The Jews run him out of that town, from there to Berea, where they were more noble than the Thessalonians, uh, searching the scriptures every day to see if what Paul was saying was so. Uh, and the Thessalonian Jews come from, and their rent a mob group come from Thessalonica, the neighboring city, and run them out of Berea as well. And from there they go south. They go to the southern part of modern-day Greece and the Greek province of Achaia, out of Macedonia into Achaia. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. Um, but there they uh, find themselves in, um, uh, in Corinth as well as in Athens, and Paul has a great ministry in both of those places, but not without uh, great difficulty as well. And so Paul writing this letter from jail. He's in jail, probably in Rome, 
This is probably while he is under house arrest that uh, Luke records in Acts chapter 28. Um, uh, he's there for a, a while, uh, a couple of years, and it may be perhaps that it's during that time that he writes what we call the prison epistles, including Philippians, uh, and of course Colossians and Philemon and Ephesians. Um, and so here we are looking at finding joy in difficult times. Paul is definitely in difficult times. I mean, he's under house arrest, true. He's not as bad as in some other places where he had been, but he still is incarcerated. He's still awaiting trial before Caesar as he has appealed at the end of the last few chapters of the book of Acts, which we're studying, by the way, commercial, on Tuesdays and Thursdays right here on Bill's Facebook page, Tuesdays and Thursdays at 3 p.m. now, uh, Central Time. And uh, as we continue on, we're going to be uh, seeing uh, those last several chapters over the next couple of weeks in the book of Acts. And so... Uh, that's where Paul is, and, and as we read from this uh, uh, epistle, especially what we'll read next week, uh, there, there are difficulties that he's experiencing there. Um, and so in, in this great book, he talks about um, the fellowship that he has with the Philippians, and he talks about uh, the joy uh, that they have. Even from prison, he writes, Rejoice in the Lord always, I will say it again. Rejoice, Philippians 4, verse 4. And a great, great passage, that whole passage there. So we are ready to get into the, the following passage, verses 3 um, uh, through 11, and take a look at uh, this next section, and partnership in the gospel. That's the term that Paul uses to describe the Philippians. So again, glad you're here, Barbara, Elizabeth, Myron Granberry, two wonderful friends of ours from this church here in Arlington, Lenny and Joe Allard. Uh, great friends of ours and family, basically, from Arlington. Uh, great to see the Blackstones with us. Love you guys. Wonderful seeing you in church uh, this morning. I always love to see my Casely. She is a delight. Um, okay, so Philippians 1, verses 3 through 11. That's where we are um, today. I thank my God every time I remember you, Paul writes. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Verse 9, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. A magnificent beginning. Uh, we see great beginnings like this in the book of John, the Gospel of John, that amazing deep, very deep theological uh, prologue in John 1, uh, and uh, we see some wonderful beginnings in other epistles uh, as well. First Peter 1, our friend Matt Hawes, and brother as he led us in our communion uh, time this morning uh, at West Irwin Church of Christ, okay, brought us back to that great passage in the first few verses of First Peter chapter 1, and the great promise that we have uh, through Jesus Christ. Uh, here, Paul speaks of several things. 
about his relationship with the church at Philippi, this very special church. I do believe this was a special church to Paul. Obviously, he worked uh, with a lot of Christians in a lot of different places, probably a lot more than we have recorded, either through his letters or through his travels, as Luke records in the book of Acts. Uh, but here, um, as we read through the content of Philippians, we are struck by the closeness and the great affection and appreciation that Paul had uh, for the Philippian church and the Christians that made up that church. Uh, when you read through uh, Corinthians, you realize that there was a lot of problems going on there, First and Second Corinthians. Um, when you read through Galatians, you realize in Galatians, perhaps addressing some of the Christians from um, the Paul and Barnabas' first mission journey and some of the things that had gone on with them related to uh, accepting Gentiles into the church uh, after Cornelius was converted in Acts 10. A lot of issues there, a lot of people trying to take away the freedom in Christ that we have, and Paul not standing for it for a moment. And when he writes the book of Galatians, there's not this nice, affectionate beginning most of the time in Paul's books, he, he begins that way. Even with Corinth, he finds something to be thankful for. But when he writes the book of, of uh, Galatians, that's not the case. He gets right to it and tells them he can't believe that they have given up the gospel for another gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Um, here in Philippians, he, he could go on and on, I believe, about the affection that he has for them and the relationship in Christ and the partnership in the gospel that they share. So we're going to look through about four key parts of this passage that we just read, Philippians 1, verses 3 through 11, and, uh, and be done about 4.30-ish. Um, so the first one is sharing, sharing. And this word share is a very important term uh, in Scripture. Um, Paul spoke of their partnership in the gospel. Again, reading verses 3 through 5, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Um, this partnership in the gospel, this sharing that they had is a very important term. When he says partnership in the gospel, if you're able to look at a commentary or if you're able to follow along in a uh, in a, a Greek version of Scripture, or, or look that up, that term partnership is the same word that we translate in other places, fellowship. It's the word koinonia. It's a very, very special word. It's a powerful word. It comes from uh, the word koinos, which means uh, common, uh, mutual, uh, shares, things you have in common, things that you share mutually with one another. And from that, you get the term koinonia, and that term is translated in most contexts, fellowship. Uh, it's a great, great term. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16, it's, it's translated communion, that we have communion with uh, Christ and with the Holy Spirit uh, through the bread that we uh, eat in the, in the Lord's Supper and through the cup that we drink in the Lord's Supper. Um, so that's a, that's a great term. It's that term, koinonia, that is translated uh, communion in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 16. Most of the time, as I said, it's translated fellowship. Uh, in Acts chapter 2 and 1 John 1, we read of the fellowship that Christians have with one another. At the very beginning, 
In Acts 2, verse 42, they were committing themselves to the apostles' teaching or doctrine, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, I believe the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Uh, those things they, they were committed to from day one, and the apostles were leading them as they were uh, given direction by the Holy Spirit and passing that on to this brand new church uh, that began just less than two months after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection in Jerusalem. Uh, in 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us and purifies us from all of our sins. A great, great verse in 1 John 1, verse 7. Paul spoke of their partnership in the gospel, the fellowship that they had in the gospel. And for the Philippians, it's interesting that he doesn't seem to use this term for anybody else, but he does with the Philippians because they had a, a, a special part of his ministry. You know, for someone, whether it's the 21st century today or even the first century, to be able to devote themselves full-time to the work of the Lord, whether in a local uh, place and working with a specific congregation like I do, or in a mission setting uh, like so many others uh, do and have done that we have known uh, through the years. I think of the wonderful ministry of Eastern European Mission and the, the wonderful partners in ministry that they have to help uh, pay for them to make the, uh, uh, publish those Bibles in, in the different languages of people in the world and then to be able to hand them out. I, I remember having gone to the summer youth camps uh, in, um, in Ukraine uh, with our wonderful, marvelous uh, South Fork Church of Christ family while we were there. And some are still going uh, and working with children uh, there as, as much as is possible, not this year, but I know they will go back next year. And I remember the biggest day of all while we were there for those two weeks was Bible Day, because it was on that day that we handed out those Bibles. And those Bibles don't make themselves, as they might say. Eastern European Mission funded those Bibles, and you and many people like you funded them. Well, it was the same for Paul the apostle, uh, who was going about from place to place. And we know that at times when he found uh, Priscilla and Aquila, who shared his uh, career path of, of tent making and working in leather, that he did work for a while. He mentions to the Thessalonians and to the Ephesian elders that he, he worked hard. Um, but uh, there were also times where he relied on others to help provide his daily needs financially. And the ones that he relied on more than anyone else, it seems, is this church, this church in Philippi. He calls them his partners in ministry. They shared a partnership in ministry. And he commissions them from the very start to, to be sure that they finish their commitment. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. But first of all, when you look a little bit further on in the book of Philippians in chapter 4, he talks specifically about how much a part of his ministry this congregation was. Philippians 4, beginning in verse 10, Paul writes to them, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, 
And then Philippians 4, verse 13, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Uh, that's the context for this verse. Verse 14 of Philippians 4, Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. And he's talking about financially, as we see. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, when he left, after he left the church in Philippi, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. You sent me aid more than once, uh, even when I was in Thessalonica, he says in verse 16, uh, when I was in need. Verse 17, not that I desire your gifts, what I desire is that more may be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. What special, special words that Paul shares with this church at Philippi. Because they were willing to send him aid. Even when he left their town and went on to the next town, the to Thessalonica, where he had such a struggle with the Jews there um, and ultimately run out of town and run out of the next town as well. It was this church in Philippi that sent him aid. And now where he is, as he writes these words in Rome in jail, um, they have sent Epaphroditus to take more help, more financial help for Paul to be able to have his needs met while there. It was a very special relationship and an amazing relationship, really. And Paul is going to speak more about that relationship. We hear a little bit in those verses from Philippians 4 that sound very similar to the things he writes to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, that long passage on, on the grace of giving. And uh, we'll come back to that in just a moment and speak more about these Macedonians, specifically, I believe, the church at Philippi. Uh, and their willingness to help Paul in his ministry, to be partners with him in ministry by having a financial part in that. Even today, when people are, maybe you're not going yourself, but maybe you're sending a check to one of those missionaries, or maybe you're contributing each week. We have so many people that give sacrificially and cheerfully and all of the other characteristics that Paul talks about here in Philippians 4, as well as especially in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Uh, you are partners in the ministry that you are helping uh, to support. That's how Paul viewed it. That's certainly how I view it. Uh, sharing with one another. The second word that we'll look at this morning as we move right along here in Philippians 1 is confidence. Paul was confident that the Lord was, would carry his work in the Philippians on to completion. He speaks of that in these verses, in verses 3 through 6, how he is confident that what God started with them and the commitments they made, that he would bring about uh, completion. In verse 6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. Paul realized that. He felt that about them because of the relationship that they shared. He knew that they would come through on what they had said they were going to give. He knew that they would provide for him because they, he had that relationship with them. Uh, he therefore remembered them with joy. And again, this theme of finding joy in difficult times, I think one of the places we find that is in our Christian relationships and those who are a part of the good that we do in Christ uh, and join us as partners in that ministry. Uh, Paul bragged on them to others because they gave themselves 
first. In that great passage in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, at the very beginning, he talks about the Macedonian churches. And I think in 2 Corinthians 8, those first five verses, he's thinking of this church, the church at Philippi. And as he writes to the church at Corinth in Achaia, the southern part of modern-day Greece, he is, he is bringing up the Macedonians, the Philippians, to encourage the Corinthians to come through on their commitment as well. This giving that they were going to do, not just to support Paul, but to help those who were in need financially, especially in Judea in times of famine and in other things. Uh, Paul exhorts them and, and encourages them to be faithful to what they had committed. That's really what 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 is about. But the ones he, lift up as, he lifts up as an example in the first five verses of 2 Corinthians 8 are the Macedonians, these Philippian Christians who he says in the midst of poverty still gave because they gave themselves first to the Lord. That's why Paul remembered them with such great joy. It was a joy and a pleasure, not a burden, for Paul to write this letter, and you hear it in every single line. Um, so sharing and confidence. The third term is affection. In verses 7 and 8, Paul says that he was grateful for them, that he prayed for them, that he longed for them. It's just an incredible passage in verses 7 and 8. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. For the Apostle Paul, these weren't empty words. This is how deeply he felt for this church. He longed for them. He had great affection for them. Uh, he appreciated them. He prayed for them. Those aren't just words that he's saying, keeping you in my thoughts and prayers. <laughs> for Paul, he, it was a burden for him. He tells the Corinthians, above all of the beatings I've had, the imprisonments, the times when I was stoned and left for dead, the thing that is the biggest burden of all is the burden I feel for the churches. And Paul felt that burden for the church at Philippi as well, but he especially felt the joy that he had because of the affection that they shared. Paul had a very close relationship with the church at Philippi. So the words sharing, uh, partnership in the gospel, confidence that they would come through on what they had committed to give, affection, his relationship with them, and then the last word this, uh, today is the term growth. Paul calls them to continue to grow. He prays for them to continue to grow. He prayed that their love in verses 3 and 4 and verses 9 through 11, he prays that their love might grow and mature. That would happen by increasing in depth of knowledge and insight. Verses 9 through 11 again, this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What an incredible prayer. It's when you, when you read one of those prayers that Paul writes or others write in the New Testament, take note because it's such a wonderful thing to hear what they pray for specifically and what Paul prays for this great church that he loved so deeply that he had such affection for that were his partners in ministry. He prayed that their love might grow and mature, and he tells them that would happen if they grow in their depth of knowledge and insight. 
the Apostle Peter himself as he ends the second letter that we have from him, 2 Peter 3, verse 18, calls on them and us to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Not just grow in grace, not just grow in knowledge, but grow in both. My experience has been that typically people grow in one or the other, in insight, in depth of knowledge, but not in grace and mercy towards each other, the kind of grace and mercy we talked about this morning in the sermon about that statement from Jesus, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. That second part is hard for some of us, but we need to grow in that grace. Uh, And there are others who will grow in that grace and yet have no desire whatsoever to get deeply involved in this book, to find that word of God and to grow in depth of insight and knowledge. That's what Paul calls on them to do here in Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. And so they would continue to be filled with the fruit of righteousness through Christ Jesus, he says, in verses 10 and 11. Um, And we're reminded of the fruit of the Spirit. Remember that song, the kids' song? Maybe you didn't sing it. Maybe we we sang it some. Maybe we sang it some with our kids or Uh, It's the only way I can remember, and I still struggle sometimes then, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Okay, well, that's good enough for that. But however you are able to remember it, that's the fruit of the Spirit. That's the fruit of the Spirit, how you live. Because how you live is what people will bring people to hear the Word of God and to accept it because they see it alive in your life through the fruit of righteousness, as Paul tells the Philippians, that they see through Christ Jesus in your life. Well, I think the clock is ticking, and I think it's about time for us to close. Um, But just uh, a word or two as we do that. God is praised when Christians share together in the work of the church. Paul felt that strongly with the church at Philippi. They, were, they shared a partnership in the gospel, a partnership in ministry, a partnership in sharing the great message of Christ with others, of serving and helping others in need. That's what Paul was all about. That's what the church at Philippi was all about. That's what we should be all about and our churches should be all about as well. Working together, using all of our different gifts, sharing together. You look at great passages such as in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians 4, in the words of 1 Corinthians 12, uh, we're many members but one body, and each member has, has different gifts, and they're all important. They're all significant. They're not the same. We have diversity, and it is a great challenge in the church, but it's also one of our greatest blessings because it allows us to be able to minister in so many different ways by sharing together our gifts in the name of the Lord uh, for the work of the church And considering ourselves, even though we're very different, considering ourselves partners in ministry. That's how Paul felt about the church at Philippi. So how do we find joy in difficult times? We do that through our relationships and partnership in ministry in the Lord and with other disciples. We don't see ourselves as doing exactly the same things, but we see everything that we do and everything that others do as being significant in the cause of Christ. We find joy, great joy in that, seeing others use their gifts to serve the Lord and to serve others. We find joy in difficult times through using our gifts to partner with other disciples 
and to serve where needed and where called. I hope you have a good idea of what gifts God has given you, and I hope that you're using those and the interests and the passions that you have. I hope you're using those things in the name of the Lord, in the work of the church, to spread his joy with others who need it just like they did in the first century. Because the times are challenging, the times are difficult, but through Christ and through our partnership in the gospel, we can find joy even in difficult times. May God bless you in your walk with Christ.